Welcome to a new season of Retrain Your Brain with me, Dr. Audrey Tang. I'm a chartered psychologist and a trainer, and I specialize in giving you simple, accessible, practical tools to achieve everything you want out of life. And in this season, I am thrilled to introduce to you many guest experts whom I've had the pleasure of learning from, and I hope that you will benefit from their expertise too. My first guest tonight is the now Northamptonshire-based award-winning author, broadcaster, and chef, Terry Tan. Welcome to the lounge, Terry. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you. Not only have you got a phenomenal broadcast and restaurant heritage, but your own background speaks to mine. You are Perenakan Babanonia, which is now not quite so recognized across the world. So could you tell me a little bit about the Babanonia culture and why food plays such a significant part of your life? Well, actually, the culture goes back to as far back as the 13th, 14th century, when the first migrants from South China and from Thailand emigrated and then cohabitated with some of the local women here. So a lot of children were born, uh, not indigenously, but they were called locally born. And the Malay term, Prana Khan, stems from the word Ana, which means child. And the meaning behind that is that a child born locally, and therefore he is distinguished as from being sort of fresh off the boat Chinese. And in subsequent centuries, right up to the 17th, 18th century, the Portuguese and the Indian traders were coming up and down the Straits of Malacca. And Malacca itself, by the 17th century, was the fount of tra- the, for trading in that region, which explains why the Peranakans are sometimes called the Straits Chinese, because Malacca was the first community founded of the Peranakans. And then today we have what you call the nonyas and the babas, which is a kind of casual term. The word baba comes from the Hindustani Persian word meaning uncle or father. And nonya actually derives from the Portuguese word of dona, because the Portuguese were already in that part of the world as far back as 16th, 17th century, and they were the ones who went to Japan. And I am the third or fourth generation of a quintessential Pranakan family because both my maternal grandparents were born locally, so therefore they qualified as Pranakans. For one thing, my my maternal grandmother didn't speak a word of Chinese, and most of the Pranakans, today it's sort of ebbing. But we have what you call a kind of Creole kind of patois where there's a lot of admixtures of Fujian words, Swatao words, Portuguese words, Malay words, all crammed together in the little box. I still speak that, that patois if I happen to meet somebody. I, I suppose you, Audrey, would be from the same heritage or not? My grandfather is, and the one thing I really remember about him is his ability to cook the most amazing food. And every time <laughs> I go to Malaysia, that's something I really recognize. And people say to me, this is specifically Nonia cooking. And yeah. that's what I wanted to ask about is, why is the food such a significant part of that I culture? think it's a cuisine that has kept the culture alive. And it was being threatened 10, 20 years ago that people were beginning to feel kind of lackadaisical about or what's so special about spicy food because it reflects the food of Thailand, the food of Indonesia, the food of Malaysia. And Pranakan food or Nonya food is actually a conglomeration 
of so many different uh, Asian cultures and, and culinary cultures. But today, thank goodness for uh, social media, Pranakan food, or generally termed as Nonya food, is available globally. I mean, I've been to some of the best Nonya restaurants in San Francisco, in Vancouver, in, in London, certainly. There wasn't a, a presence up until maybe 10, 15 years ago. But today, most Westerners know about the cuisine. They may not have eaten it, but they know what it means like. Uh, what it represents, which is spicy, aromatic, absolutely scrumptious. Yes. Oh, gosh, I fully agree with you. And you have had such experience of not only sampling the food, but yeah. cooking the food. You are, have been an executive chef. You've been editor-in-chief for Wine and Dine in Singapore. Why did you decide to become a chef? I didn't actually become a chef as such because of like growing up in my grandmother's house, this huge Chinese house, where we had any number of maiden aunts and unexplained aunts and uncles, and life centered around the kitchen. And I started cooking at the age of 12 because all my friends in school were into hockey and football, but I was only interested in the walk. Um, <laughs> so that over the next 10, 20 years, I became very interested in food. When I became a journalist, I started writing a food column, and my editor said, why don't you write a book? So I went ahead and wrote a book, and my book was the first Nonya cookbook in Singapore, uh, which, after 39 years, is still available in the market, and which I'm currently revamping. I started writing food columns, and then I became the chief editor of Wine and Night magazine, eating around the world, more cooking, more eating. Then I came to England, basically to give my son a decent education. And I was poached again to become ex executive chef for a, a chain of Singapore restaurants. I just couldn't get away from it. But since then, I have decided to concentrate on writing cookbooks. And I have written, to date, 33, yes. covering just about every Asian cuisine you can think of, apart from Japanese, which is slightly different from the rest of Asian cuisine. And I'm still looking for new hills to climb and new kitchens to discover. That's amazing. And do you have an overall cooking philosophy? To me, food is fundamental from the day we are born until the day we go and meet our maker. Uh, it has to be, the semantics have to be very good. In other words, it has to taste right. It has to have a balance of textures. And if, it, if the culinary yin-yang is perfect, then you, your life can become almost like a nirvana after a good meal. I think that explains why, if you look at how the Japanese eat their noodles, with every mouthful, they will reflect for a few seconds. It's not just shoving food into your mouth. You think about what you're putting into your system, and I do the same when I look at something that has been prepared for me or I prepare myself. I take a deep breath and I say, right, I'm going to enjoy this mouthful, and it's got to be the whole essence of eating and not just eating to keep alive, but I live to eat. I don't eat to live. That's beautiful and that's so mindful. We talk a lot about mindful eating as a way of slowing ourselves down. Do you have a signature or a favourite dish? <laughs> I'm asked this question loads of times because there are so many hundreds, thousands of dishes that I like. But there is one that I'm particularly fond of that I kind of morphed from what my mother taught me, which is a spicy pork dish that contains seven spices 
No, there is no name for it except we call it spicy pork. But I don't know whether you're familiar with the patois in Singapore, and I called it pork a la shuk. And the word shuk means delicious, scrumptious, out of this world. And today that dish has become global because most of my friends have a copy of my book and they said, we, we make this dish because it keeps very well and it goes with bread, it goes with rice, it goes with noodles and it is totally reflective of the Nonya cuisine culture. I love that. That would have to be my favourite. Not only has your work travelled widely, but of course you have as well and you have worked on fusion recipes and fusion dishes. How has food and culture played a part in your own personal growth? Um, I think cuisine is fundamentally uh, a fusion of just about every um, culture you can think of. I consider myself to be a child of an international upbringing because one thinks of, the, oh, I am, I'm often asked this question uh, when I say, oh, I'm making spaghetti bolognese and the, the, the uh, retort to that is, how can you cook Italian? You're not Italian. I said, that's nonsense. A, sh a chef, a chef, a cook can cook anything under the sun. So I don't have what you call regional parameters when it comes to food. When I cook something, it could be a, a bit of that, a smidgen of that, a souciong of this, and it can become an amalgam of Italian, French, German, whatever, going back centuries. Same with any cuisine. Uh, Thai cuisine goes back a long way to the first Indian cultures that settled in that part of the world, and likewise, Indonesian cuisine, even as far back as the Melanesian era, you know, Micronesia yesterday, were placing their culture into so many parts of that part of the Pacific. And in the same way, there is what you call no identifiable factor in, say, Singapore cooking or Malaysian cooking. People often tell me, but this dish that you have is so similar to what I ate in Bangkok. I said, you're absolutely right. That Thai dish could be the mother of this dish or the other way around. When you go back five, six hundred years, it could have been invented. Well, somebody somewhere had to invent the first dish. Yes. Yes. So cuisine is a very complex thing. I don't think you can put your finger on exactly what it is. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Before I let you go, I want to ask your advice on if I wanted to start cooking or wanted to get more involved in the kitchen, can you suggest any particular kitchen implements that all of us need to have in our kitchen? <laughs> I would recommend heartily a pestle and mortar. I know you have electrical versions today, but they never, ever grind spices to the finest degree that a granite pestle and mortar does. And don't buy the marble one because they are more for apothecary and they are more for grinding gentle things like garlic and pill. But I have a, a granite pestle and mortar that I inherited from my grandmother. It's more than 100 years wow. old. And I use that. Although I have to go down on my knees to do it, getting more difficult each day. But that is what I would... If you're talking about Asian or Southeast Asian cuisine, you have to have that. And then a perfect cast iron wok. When I say cast iron, it's one of the best metals to use for stir frying. I mean, and because the wok is uh, what you call oval shape, and the theory of gravity comes into play, play. when you stir fry things, they don't fall out. You try doing that on a flat frying pan, western frying pan, things fall out very easily. So gravity has a lot to uh, to do with people, Chinese uh, Asians using a wok, and the wok goes back, oh, 5,000 years? 
and nobody has ever reinvented the wall because it's pointless. And the third thing that I would have is the sharpest knives you can have, a, a, a sharp cleaver and a sharp paring knife, that's it. In my kitchen, I have two knives, a cleaver and a paring knife, vegetable knife, a wok and my pestle and mortar. Other than that, I don't have a whole array of implements that you get, you see on television ads and all that. A lot of it is a waste of time and money. But if you have these three things and a good chopping board, you're on your way. You see, you've heard it from the expert here. And where can we find out more about you, Terry? Where can we maybe get your books and learn a little bit more about your, your history? So do you have a website or anything we can, we can visit? I think if you call up terrytown.com, everything is there. Fantastic. Not my photograph. I don't. I photograph very badly. I, I look like a gnome, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, That's it's not it's, true, it's, listeners. <laughs> if you go into, even if you just Google Terry Tan, you get my whole list of books, the books that I've done and the books that I'm currently doing and everything you want to know about me, what's and all. That's wonderful. Thank you, Audrey. It's been great. I have not been interviewed for about four decades. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you, we need to bring you back on. And that's all we have time for. But do check out some of the earlier episodes for 10 Minutes on My Couch with more practical tips or else my YouTube channel, Dr. Audrey Tang, Tools to Thrive. And you can catch more guest experts on my radio show on NLive Radio, which is the Wellbeing Lounge, Tuesday nights at 9pm.